Welcome to this special recording of the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. Um, This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Kairos Partnerships and Christianity Today. Uh, Well, friends, uh, a lot of us are heavy hearted after a few weeks of some pretty significant tragedies within our within our world. Um, Between the one millionth death with the pandemic, uh, the shooting in Buffalo, uh, the mass shooting in Texas and the shooting that happened at the church in Southern California. And so I was on the treadmill the other day and just started to think, how do we support pastors in this? None of us learned anything uh, or or not a lot in seminary on how to actually deal with what what it looks like to help people work through uh, national tragedies, uh, mass shootings, or, or just some of these things. And a lot of us feel this tension of like, we have to say something, we don't know what to say, what do we do? And so I just in a moment decided to reach out to two people, two former guests we've had. Uh, one is uh, Jim Pace. He was a pastor um, at New Life Christian Fellowship, which is on the campus and, and at Virginia Tech University. And he was pastoring during the Virginia Tech shooting um, in 2007, April 16th. And the other was uh, Dr. Jamie Ayton, who, is, who, who leads the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. And we've had him on before talking about how churches can engage in in being healers within the community, what it looks like to offer spiritual first aid. And I just figured, you know, I'm going to get these two guys on and we're just going to have a long conversation about A, their stories, uh, how they got involved in the work that they do, and B, what parts of this may help pastors who are struggling, who may be hundreds of miles away to thousands of miles away. From the from the shootings that have taken place, and just what does it look like for us to lead in a time uh, that is just really hard? How how do we begin to to shepherd our people? How do we use this as opportunities for discipleship? And so it's a long conversation, and I, and I want to warn you that it is a long conversation. There's also a lot of tears, and there's a lot of stories that are shared. But I really think that there is a ton of gold in this conversation and a ton of opportunity for us as pastors to listen um, to a pastor who's been through it uh, and to learn uh, and also to pay attention to some really practical ways to be present, um, practical ways to help lead our congregations through these these really difficult times. And so, again, it's a special edition, but we just feel like it's a really important conversation for us to have. Uh, in in light of all the tragedy, tragedies that we've just seen taking place in the last few weeks, so uh, we I, I don't want to say I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, I know this is a significant conversation for us to have as pastors, and I'm grateful for Jim and for Jamie for jumping on very quickly with such short notice to talk to you all and to have a conversation about some really hard things about pastoring through tragedies. So, pastors, uh, you are loved. You are in really hard spaces. It has been a hard space for for the last two years, and it just seems like it continues to get harder. But God is good. He's in control. And I'm grateful that we have brothers and sisters who have been through things like this before who can help us even process, even begin to name some of the things that are happening within our own souls. So I know this conversation is going to be impactful for all of us. Jamie and Jim, thank you guys so much for uh, for joining the Monday Morning Pastor today. Um, I wish it was on a different note that 
uh, I was having you guys come on and, and, um, but I'm just really glad that we could sit and have a conversation about stuff that's really current in the news and stuff that doesn't seem to be going away in terms of mass shootings. Um, and what it looks like, A, to experience it, and and B, uh, also to pastor through it, to help churches heal through it, to help communities heal. And so you guys both have some very interesting stories around the church and mass shootings. And so, Jim, how about you start? And Jamie, we'd love to hear your story. And again, folks who are listening, this is a, this is a different format. Um, this is not our normal Monday morning pastor. We just wanted to create a safe space to hear stories and also to get some information on how we can, as church leaders and church pastors, be better equipped, which you will never be fully equipped for a situation like this. Um, and so it's going to be longer. Uh, we just pray that you stick with it, and we're just going to allow some space to listen and to pay attention, and maybe even to weep. And there might this is going to be a hard conversation, but we're really glad we get to have it. So Jim, how about you start us off a little bit with your context and your story around mass shootings? Um. Yeah, I uh, I was one of the pastors of New Life uh, Christian Fellowship that is at Virginia Tech. This is, this is what I was saying. It, it hits sometimes. Um, I was there for 25 years, so that meant I was there on April the 16th. I was at a coffee shop that was uh, 100 yards from campus. I still remember hearing the sirens start coming in, and you started to hear that one or two people had been killed, and these were the original people that had been killed in a residence hall. And then they locked everybody down. And so the sirens, uh, they're just the town sirens, the, the tornado sirens, which we never get tornadoes. But, uh, and the cell um, grid locked up, and we heard it just had gotten worse. And I was able to get home, and we were just, we were just watching it on the news. And I remember our, our, our staff came over to our house. We were in our family room, just watching the numbers go up and just being shocked. And, and that ushered us into this thing and this, this process that we weren't ready for, that we weren't sure how to read, that there was no, there was no playbook for. And we just, it just, that was that was what we were in from there, and it just it just took off, and um, that's how we got connected into this awful little fraternity. Um, that that's how it was for us. Yeah, yeah, um, Jim, I'm, I'm grateful for the tears. I'm grateful for just this, the conversation that's about to ensue and, and even just thank you for getting us started off. Um, and, and Jamie, uh, we've had you on, we've had both of you on before, which is great. So you're, you know, you guys are, are alumni. Um, but Jamie, you've, you know, you have done so much amazing work with the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and uh, Spiritual First Aid and, and a lot of stuff around the pandemic and healing, but, but it's not just around you know, humanitarian disasters, you've also been been part of work around mass shootings and things like that. So can you share some of your story as well? Yeah. So, you know, Jim, that, that uh, saying there that you had of uh, this kind of horrible fraternity, you know, mm -hmm. that there is something about going through these things that do connect us and ways mm -hmm. that we want to be connected and ways we don't. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Uh, for me, the way I got welcomed was that um, I had just finished up grad school as a psychologist. 
and moved to South Mississippi. And then six days later, Hurricane Katrina struck our community. And so very similar to kind of like what Jim was saying that, you know, I had no idea what to do. In fact, I was so unprepared. Uh, when we got home, I was trying to figure out like, what do I do to you know get our house ready or you know, protect our family? What do we do here? And I remembered all those uh, public service announcements about what to do in the event of a disaster. And so I'm like scrounging through all these unopened boxes. And there it is. Finally, I come across the, the holy grail of preparedness. And I, I reach in and I pull out duct tape. Because I remember <laughs> all of those commercials, like in the event of a disaster, you know, have duct tape. And then I was like, and I know there's something else. What's the other thing? And I couldn't think of what it was. And I just remember standing there like, what the heck am I supposed to do with a mm-hmm. roll of duct tape and a hurricane coming at our house? Mm-hmm. And just really feeling hopeless and not knowing what to do. You know, later I found out that it was actually for uh, the messages I had heard were about bioterrorism attacks. So it was supposed to be duct tape and plastic for your vents. Um, So that just shows you like how unready I was, but that ended up really changing the course of not just my career, but also personally for me. And as ever since that point, walking along the side of churches uh, and communities have been impacted by all sorts of disasters to mass Mm -hmm. conflicts, like in Liberia, to looking at mass shootings at college campuses, um, you know, many different communities, and even in our own community nearby here after the Aurora factory shooting. And so I'll be pulling some of those experiences. And then uh, another uh, experience that really shaped me was going through stage four cancer at the age of 35. And you know, I'm grateful to continue to be have no evidence of disease. But actually, a year ago, almost to this day, was when I ended up um, starting to have symptoms that led me to being hospitalized for a month that uh, led to me almost being on palliative care. So, you know, Jim, as you were kind of sharing some of those, how, you know, you're in the moment, but it connects back to things. You know, I've, with this current circumstance, been surprised how some of my own trauma from a year ago has been intersecting with the traumas we're seeing happening now. That's that's one of the things, Jamie, that we we learned we and when when all this descended and, and and three of the people that were killed had been to our church had come and but there were hundreds of people in the church that were one degree of separation away right so this was just and and so that that level of trauma simultaneously unexpectedly we just weren't remotely prepared for not remotely and so what we what we tried to do is we just tried to be honest and tell people we don't we we don't know we don't know so we're just gonna we're gonna look and try through all of the dust that this has kicked up and all the smoke that seems to cover any light of god we are going to look for the glimmers of where he's leading us and one of the things and then we're going to try to get in front of people that that know how to navigate some of these things. And one of the things that uh, the uh, Billy Graham disaster response team came and they talked about that thing that uh, you just referenced there, um, Jamie, that it's like one thing dings. It's almost like those tuning forks that at least I had to listen to when I was in school. They might've very well moved past that by the time you youngsters were there. But you know, you, you hit one, and you know you would listen you if you hit one and you put it by another one it sets that one off and then another one and another one and so these things that happen it's like this series of tuning forks back to the various traumas that we've experienced mm-hmm. and so we weren't even ready for the direct 
we absolutely were not prepared for all the things that it would set off. And uh, yeah, it, it was just, um, it just, uh, it felt like, a, and I use this, it, it felt like a wave that you could, you could see the sun on the other side of the water. Like you were about six inches beneath the water. Mm. You could see it and you could get your hand up there and you could feel the air, but you couldn't breathe it. It was just too, it, you just, you, you couldn't, you couldn't come up for air. That's, that's, you know, that what, what you're kind of, that's what it kind of brought out in me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because even as, as I've been chatting with folks in, in our community up here and outside of Philadelphia, um, there's just, you know, these traumas impact the people who are living through it in a particular way. And then they impact our country in a very mm. particular way too. And, and my sense is that there's a lot of pastors and leaders and, and, you know, whether they're full-time, part-time, or just people that are volunteering in churches who are just reeling from this and just, and yeah, that tuning mm -hmm. cord, right? Like this feels like this, which feels like this. And, and someone said the other day, um, as my co-pastor said something to the effect of when I first heard it, my initial response was numbness. And I said, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, what would you guys have to say to people? Like what emotions are kind of okay. And, and some of this I think is giving permission, right? Because I think a mm -hmm. lot of us aren't even sure what does it look like to even emotionally respond to this? Like what, what are we allowed to do as pastors, as leaders? How, how can we respond? You know, in situations like this, I, I think it's really common to recognize that it's not just which emotions or which ones, but to know that they're all going to come, mm -hmm. right? Like, and they're going to be sometimes happening simultaneously. And it's hard to even sometimes figure out what am I feeling? And then that often leads to that numbness that you were talking about, about where, you know, it kind of puts us in a state of shock, because it's just so intense, and it's hard to get our heads around and I think there is always that challenge, especially, you know, that I see with pastors that I've worked with over the years of feeling like I have to have it all together so yeah. that I can help lead my congregation through this. But I just want to encourage pastors to know that, yes, to some extent, you do have to help bring some calm to the chaos. But one of the ways that you can also bring calm and leadership is by also being authentic. You know, so there's a finding that kind of a balance between how do I help myself pull myself together enough to lead, but also in a way that's still being authentic. And so we don't have to, you don't have to have all the answers. You know, in fact, those are the leaders that make me most concerned in times of a crisis, because mm -hmm. what we need is more uh, humble hearts and hands and less heroes in times of our crises. That'll preach. Jim, uh, you're shaking your head the entire time. So I just, yeah, oh. speak, speak to what, 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 what you're resonating with here. I, I just, I just, that, that, Every single word that descended <laughs> from your mouth, Jamie, that was, I mean, it, it is a, there is a, there is a thing that we have adopted, especially in the, I would say in the, well, probably the, the Western church overall, but certainly the more centri centrist to conservative that you get that the, the pastor really is the, they're the professional, they're the expert. You know, in our area, because we're in a university town, it's the the pastor is professor. Like the, the you just know what to do. You know the you know the the field. You know and and I think there is a there's there's that that thing that 
wants to jump out of you when you when you have these moments. Um, and and you just have to I, I think what we what we tried to do was just be authentic with uh, with where we were with with being angry. I think pastors publicly voicing frustration or even anger at God is a real weird thing. I mean, I, I had it was about five days after the shootings. I think it was five. I'm terrible with timelines. I mean, I had I hadn't slept very much. I it was a it was still a swirl. And I got in my car, which was this old red stanza, and it wouldn't start. And I the the it felt offensive hmm. that in the midst of all this, I got to deal with a car not starting. The the difficulty of, you know, in that acute moment. In those first few days, everything is taken over by this, this, this event. But normal life just keeps going, and it just keeps building up. I remember sitting in my car and pounding, and I'm not an angry person, screaming in my car for probably five or ten minutes at just the, it it just it just felt wrong. Mm. Out of everything, I remember uh, uh, it just, and I'll, I'll share this story too. Just to give maybe pastors, at least you can think if you're struggling with how you're feeling, maybe you won't do something as dumb as what I did. Um, I was, we were walking around campus and people had descended on Blacksburg. The media had, I mean, just everything. And people were walking around very, very well intentionally offering hugs. You know, you need a hug. I'm from this church. You need a hug. And, you know, and there were some folks from the area that were doing it. That's fine. And some people were like, hey, if you would like one, you know, but they're kind of staying back. This was about a week after I had screamed at my car. Still hadn't slept very much. Still was in the, this was, we were mid through, I mean, 32 people died. Imagine how many memorials and funerals. And I, 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 I still... We're mid through that, and I'm walking across the drill field, which is the center part of campus where it's a lot of these folks were. And someone came up to me, and they just must have felt from God like not only did I need a hug, that I needed to get one, in spite of whether I said I, whether I said I wanted one. So they came mm -hmm. up to me and said, "Do you need a hug? You look like you need a hug." I said, "I do not. I don't." And they said, "I'm going to give you." And they came up to give me one anyway, and I shoved them back. And I, I, I dropped an expletive and I'm, I'm, not, I, that was, that's not me. I mean, I, I literally, I tripped in front of it. I think it's okay. Yeah. Right. Like, you're a pastor. Yeah. So yeah. Well, well, that's, well, here's, that's what's coming. And, and, and like I said, I literally, I, I, I tripped in front of a bunch of teenagers just, I don't know, a number of years ago. And I went, Oh golly. I mean, that's the kind of, I'm that guy. That's, that's so embarrassing. I'm that guy. I pushed him away and they said, you know, I'm just going to pray that you will let Jesus into your heart and he'll give you peace. Mm. And I said, you want to hear something funny? And I told him I was a pastor and I just kept, anyway, it just, all of those feelings. What I learned is there's no timeline for what you're going to feel. There's nothing that you won't feel. I learned that a lot of the things that I had struggled with in the past came up more. And, and I learned there, there was just no prediction, even just talking before, you know, I talked about this a couple months ago, uh, some folks were asking me about it and I was totally fine. And then I talk about it here and it's, 
there, I learned it's, I just, I'm not going to be able to predict. So don't even try this stuff is it's going to, it's going to hit you the way it does. And we just have to be okay with that and honor that. Anyway, sorry. That's my soliloquy for now. No, I think that's really, I feel like that's a really helpful permission, both of you, right? Because Jamie, when, when, when you said, you know, the pastor has to have all the answers and know it all and, and kind of figure that out, um, we, that we don't have to have, we don't have to feel that. I, I think I've heard that said so many times. I still feel like it's a lie, mm-hmm. which, yeah. which is insane to think that after mm-hmm. 20, 21 years of ministry, I still have this feeling of like, I have to have the answer. I have to figure it out. But I, I noticed, Jamie, as you were listening to the story, it seemed like you were processing to some things as well. And, and I don't know what it was, but I just wanted to tee it up. And like, what did you hear in that? Well, Jim, I just appreciate how honest you were in sharing that. And as you were talking about it, like the way you were describing it of how it was impacting all of who you were, you know, from, you know, our spiritual selves to our physical self to our emotional self, all of those pieces. And, you know, I think it was one of the things that I didn't really fully understand until my cancer experience to really understand how trauma impacts all of Mm. who we are you know, that all of the different parts are so interconnected. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've been able to learn through our research is that like, when we go through a trauma, that part of what's happening is that we're going through what's partly what makes it a trauma is that it's an event that we don't know how to understand, right? Like, like, we don't have a mental uh, kind of category for some of these things. Like, like, maybe you're feeling like I know I have the last uh, few weeks of just it's hard to even get your head around like, you know, these stories that we hear of abuse or the mass shootings, how do we even make sense of that? But when you actually go through, or even if it's you feel threatened, one of the things we've learned in our research is that the body really holds and stores that, that trauma. And what happens is because we don't have a nice, neat way of understanding it, that trauma, we store that information across all of our senses, right? Mm -hmm. So like, like that may be like what you were talking about. Like I've had, like, like when you were talking, Jim, just the way you were describing like that person coming up to give you a hug. Like I felt my body all of it. Like I almost felt like myself, like, you know, starting to have a tick here or something like, like, like I could feel like it all of a sudden it was triggering for me of just like that emotion from a physical place. Um, and, and just seeing how these things are also interconnected. So it might be a scent or, you know, it could be a touch. It could be a song, you know, like you're saying all these random things that, you know, because that information is stored across all of our senses. And that's one of the things that makes it so challenging and so unpredictable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it, it almost feels like we're, we're really hitting on a lot of these. Here's kind of the, to don't list, right. Of things like (laughs) don't, don't set up a let's go hug people thing. Um, But like, but again, again, like, I I think this is so helpful because just really practical, what are things not to do as a church in a situation, whether you are, whether you are in the community or whether you're 300, 3000 miles away, like my community, who's, who's wrestling with, what do we do? So let's start with what don't we do? What are things that are helpful to not do? Hmm. We know Jim. You're- yeah, I'd be, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in, in your with uh, with some of the writing and research you've done. I'd be interested in your to don'ts, and then I can just kind of squib in a few others. So I'm actually going to give a pre don't yeah. based on. Um, <laughs> so, so as you were sharing your story about like all those folks like just showing up. So uh, the, the what, what I was thinking when you were sharing that was like 
don't be an SUV, a spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteer. You know, so there, like, before you take action, like, pause and and you know, we want to set off from a place of humility. You know, what are my motivations for wanting to do this? You know, am I actually going to help, or am I going to add to the chaos? Or you know, what are my strengths? Are my strengths suited to doing this, or? Are my weaknesses, you know, going to end up making me do something I shouldn't do if I actually deploy mm-hmm. on that? You know, so I, I think part of it starts with that kind of don't be an SUV. So uh, I'll cue that up to you now, Jim, to start on the actual don't. So I had a pre down there. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really I, I think that's that's terribly important. And I think something that we were talking about offline a little bit was that when people see these things, it 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 feels like like the response you need when a hurricane hits in those first couple of weeks is is a response that makes a little bit more sense and you know some of what you were sharing before you know we 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 can't really encapsulate everything that's going on but we do have some categories and that falls into that and so what we want to do is put shootings or things like this in a similar category where we just need to go and help and 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 the thing that was difficult is there's nothing to do. There's no water that we need to get rid of. We don't need blankets. We were inundated with prayer shawls, very, very well intentioned. But then no, they're expecting us to give them out. I had someone, I was getting up to uh to preach on a Sunday, and a guy intersected me on the way up. And he's like, I got this great book, and I think you guys should really just, you know, just like on my way up to like this, this, this kind of you know, I, I, I almost can't wrap my head around it. The sense of, I am going to help you in the way that makes sense to me. And so I love that, the pre-don't, of just let's take a step back. I think I think for a lot of folks, more people are going to be kind of, Doug, what you were saying, like 3,000 miles away and wondering what they can do. Yeah. And I think one of the things that they can do is to reach out proactively with some ideas. I think I could help here. I think I could help here. And but then don't push for the response. You know, give give the people time that are there doing this. I mean, there were days where I didn't go near my email. Good day. How do you? And and so give them a, give them a little bit of time and then and then you know, you can just offer from you know, just be on the, just kind of have a very low key posture about it. These are things I think I could do that would help. Would they be, if they say no, then, then it's no. And if they say yes, then okay, how would this work? I think there, there, we, we, it triggers there. uh, There was a, there was a thing that I think it was with the CTM bar. I'm sure a lot of places have done it. The percentage of pastors that are kind of type A alphas, you know, that kind of thing, we have this sense that it kind of goes into we got to know everything, we got to be able to do everything, we got to be able to lift heavy Bibles, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and that that kind of gets kicked into gear. I need to go help and I need to show them how I can help. And you just gotta not. You have to, you have to not have a lot of expectation. You want to be proactive with the offer. I think that is really helpful. I got so many texts or emails like, I don't care when you read this. We have been praying for we've been praying for you. And we're just we're just praying that you will see God somewhere. That you'll see what he, he's speaking. 
And, and we're just praying that you can see a little bit of a path. And that's all we were trying to do. And, and the Spirit gave so many things through that. There were times that something I was praying, someone would email, and we've all had this, but there, there's so many more of them during this time. Exactly the phrase that I was praying, or someone on our staff team or pastoral team, this is exactly what I was praying, and they did this. The Spirit was with us. We just needed some encouragement to believe that He was there. And then, and then low-key offers without expectation of being involved in the the media of it. That's, you know. I think those are all very helpful, <laughs> helpful tools, like A, to don'ts, but also some things to be considering when we're looking to what it is to help. Um, you know, even from the perspective of like, you know, after a church, after you went through this, right, Jim, in, 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 in uh, NLCF, what was it like when the next tragedy like that happened somewhere else? Oh, you're just, you live in fear of that. I, I, I found we were living in fear of, of a lot of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember this, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, I remember being so angry when all the media descended. I mean, it was that within 20 minutes, it was police cars and satellite trucks. That was it. It was the only thing on the road. And then I was just about as angry when they all left, hmm. you know, as if, as if we were ready to just move on to the next disaster. You know, I, um, I, I, um, I remember that, gosh, I, I lost the question. Sorry. No, I, you're you're doing fine, and I think this is it's really helpful. I I think the question I can't remember the question I asked. What did I ask? Uh, <laughs> wow, um, this, is, this is why we're doing this. Um, hold on, it'll come to me. Yeah, um, I think I just asked the question of like, what happens when oh when, when, the, when next the next one, one happens. happens somewhere else? Yeah, I you you just are you're always you're just hyper. At least I found it, Jamie. I don't know if you found this in your in your research, I, I was hyper aware of time. Everyone was afraid of the, not afraid, but feeling that uh, about the next April 16th. Like we had snipers around campus because it made Virginia Tech a high value target because everyone would be looking at us for that day again. Um, you, were, you were triggered by all these other things. If, you, if I saw the number 16, if I saw the number 32, that's how many people have been killed. Um, you know, all of that. And then when the next one happens like this, it that tuning fork thing, it just brings you right back into it. And you feel it differently, but you feel it very viscerally. I remember I was I was asked uh, by the first few and then periodically since then to to speak or to, to help with churches that were going through something like this. And I remember not wanting to have anything to do with it at all because I didn't want to, I, 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 I wanted to protect myself selfishly. I wanted to just not, I didn't want to have those conversations. I didn't want to talk about it. And, and that's when God is like, you know, if, if you are asked to help with this, I just want you to do it. And that's, and that's, you know, I've, I've tried to do that since, but it, it just, 
it just does that. It, it, I remember a car backfired three months later and you know, you're like, I wouldn't even, I didn't even hear the shots, but it was, you know, we walk around campus now and they, the, the shooter, he chained the doors closed. It was those kind of old school doors that have the, you know, it's just like the U on the wood. And so he could chain them or the, or he had the two push bars on either side and you could chain those so people couldn't get out because they were trying to get out. And so they've gone through and now all the doors on campus, they've got one of those push bars and then the other one isn't. They've got it so you can't chain a door anymore. And and even something like that, even this much later, you see it and you're like, I, I know why most people would have no idea. You wouldn't notice that ever unless you know why they did it. And so it, it it just kind of relegates you to always having the opportunity or always having the possibility of being brought right back into it. And it's different, but you just never know. And you just, you have to kind of make your peace with that. It's like, this is now me. This is some of my scar tissue. And I, I can't deny it. And, and yeah, anyway, that's, yeah. I think that's, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for going there, Jim. I think that's really, I don't think we fully understand those who have not lived through that specifically, but I think even just having a roadmap or a story there, it's just so helpful. Um, and, and Jamie, it, it makes me think, you know, we be right as the pandemic was, was really in the, in the throes of a lot of different things. You all came out with the spiritual first aid um, training, which uh, I went through super helpful. Um, it feels like it equipped me well. And and before the before we jumped on to record, you mentioned how you you all have been working on updating that with 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 trauma being trauma informed and thinking through mass shootings. And so, like, what does it look like to offer spiritual first aid for a community that's dealing with senseless violence like this? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't have the full answer to that, but one of the things that I often think about is the story of Job. And, you know, Jim, as you were talking, unfortunately, it's we, we tend to be like Job's friends a little later in the story, right? Like, you know, initially, one of the things that I had missed until a student had pointed out to me a couple years ago was that she was saying, you know, Job's friends, actually, it wasn't until they opened their mouth that they started causing the harm. And that was something that really stuck with me, you know, right at first Job's, you know, in mourning and his friends come and they just sat with him. But it's it's not till they open their mouth that they start, you know, heaping on the additional pain. And so one of the things that we try to teach is to recognize that our presence says more than our words can ever say. And mm. too often, you know, especially as Christians, that we, we tend to end up using what I have started calling the bumper sticker theology, you know, really just mm. these kind of cliches. And what I've found is, you know, if it's succinct enough and catchy enough to put on a bumper, even though it sounds catchy, it's probably lacking in any theological substance, right? So instead of being bumper stickers, we need to be a little bit more like duct tape for those that are going through a trauma, that our goal is to really walk alongside them, help to kind of stabilize the situation is, and by just meeting those basic practical needs. And in the way that we've uh, revised our new model, uh, that we teach what we refer to for spiritual first aid as the blessed CPR framework. You know, so the blessed standing for those five kind of four needs that our research has shown that are most, most likely to cause distress when impacted or threatened. 
you know, so that could be either primary, like Jim, like what you were talking about, or even those secondary ways, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. it didn't happen to me, but I knew someone. So my yeah. was threatened. And so the, the BLESS stands for biological, livelihood, emotional, social, and spiritual needs. And then mm-hmm. the next step being to, for the C out of the CPR is, so, excuse me. So you got the BLESS needs and then BLESS triage. So helping to identify what's that one most pressing need that person has in that moment. So Jim, just thinking about like your stories, you know, about like, I just need help with this in this moment. I don't need these other things you're asking for, right? So triaging what that need is. And then the next step being to uh, care with practical presence of just really Mm -hmm. walking alongside people. And then from there, the P being providing coping practices. So it might be in the moment of, you know, do you want to just go for a walk? You know, I can tell you're really stressed or maybe the person's starting to have a panic attack and you're just walking that person through like, okay, hey, look at me in the eyes, take a deep breath here, keep taking a deep breath. Or maybe it's not even in the moment, but thinking then about what could they do in the future to cope. And then Mm -hmm. the next step, the R out of the blessed CPR is to refer and resource. And, you know, one of the things that I've found in churches in particular, sometimes we almost feel like if we have to refer that we failed. And I, I want to counter that. And in fact, getting people connected to resources is one of the most important things we can do as helpers. Mm-hmm. Because when traumas happen, like what you've described, Jim, you know, it, it, there's no one person, no one church, no one organization that can meet all of the needs in the aftermath of some of these mass traumas. So we really have to come together as the full body of Christ. And so, you know, where can we get people connected? And so that's really that new model of teaching people how to walk through that, providing protocols for it. And then also even we talk at the end about how to do this as a church and what does it look like? And then each step we teach specific trauma informed principles. Mm. That I, that is, I'm so excited about that. I want to, you know, I, I I think that the the value of that is just the breadth of it, Jamie. And the, the, I think people's perception is that if you go through something like this, you're going to have a very specific impact. And and you might, you know, and people are usually pretty close to what those most likely impacts would be, but that's not everything. And so I, I love the holistic nature of it. And the, I think having that, you, you mentioned something that you're, you know, you have the acute phase mm-hmm. and then you have kind of the latent phases at six months or at the yeah. anniversary or at the, you know, and, and, and those things look at least in our experience, they looked a little bit different. And, but you could see the, um, you, you could see this kind of spike in the tension that was around. And, and I think that that was like, when I compare this, like you got Katrina and you got the shootings and then you have your cancer diagnosis. And I think Katrina is like this, mass it just you know it was it just was everywhere and it and it and it it just just decimated everything and then you have the shootings which kind of sit in the middle where you have this community that really understands it because they went through it and then you have um your cancer diagnosis that is that is extremely personal and specific and i i love that this kind of a, approach even though it's targeted at this middle it it can give room and and reflection for for the, the the whole range of of just what is life like post trauma, mm. 
Uh, I, I love that. I love that. Which, well, and, and Tim, as you were describing that too, like it made me think a little bit like Doug, what you were saying earlier about being in the midst of COVID-19 for all this time. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's coming out of this conversation is it reflects too that these traumas don't occur in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. So like what we're talking about with the recent mass shootings that you've got mass shooting right on the heels, right? So you've got Texas, you know, then right before that, the Taiwanese church, then right before that, Buffalo. the um, black community in Buffalo. And then mm. right before that, the 1 million death uh, from COVID-19 in the U S. So like, I mean, that's mm. in like three, four week period, which yeah. ironically is mental health month. Um, May is um, so, but, but with it, you know, as you were describing, Jim, you were kind of using your hands as you were talking about like those three different types of uh, like disasters. Well, it, in some ways, like this COVID-19 for us, it's been like having a low grade hurricane, like, hovering over the top of our entire globe now for mm-hmm. a couple of years. And then within it, you've got these massive other events that are happening too, right? So it's like, no wonder everybody's stressed out right now. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's interesting because this is one of those spaces where even even for the the pastor that still believes he has all the answers and has it all together, um, it it hopefully has exposed in all of us we we really don't and that there is a there's a lot of there's a lot that we just don't know uh and there's also a lot of room for us to be to be present and i think that's one of the big gifts that i i'm hearing in both of your stories um of just the gift of presence and and what it looks like to be with people throughout yeah original you know the 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 you know immediately after six months after three months after a year after two years after four years after and even just it's fascinating to me jim to think that you know this this happened over 10 years ago in in, in your in your neck of the woods in your life and there those emotions are still like right behind that place and 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 not to and and also to bless that and say like yeah that's healthy like that's okay we don't have to have it all wrapped up and figured out after a 30 minute conversation or, you know, six months of going through counseling. But I think the question, you know, because both of you come at this from very similar and very different backgrounds. And I think the question that may be helpful for us is, you know, like, Jamie, you've been studying this for a long time. Jim, you've been, you've been through this and, and it's been quite a few years. If you could go back, what would you have done differently? Or like, what has time informed you that would have been just super helpful in the immediate and then also super helpful in the long term. I mean, I can toss some stuff. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, when we, uh, uh, a friend of mine and a friend of this uh, uh, podcast and I are um, working on a book about the first few years of ministry and what are things that are helpful to do, helpful not to do. And, and I, you know, I, I think we benefited from a few things. I think some just from the, the sovereignty and the love of God in the midst of it. And some of it, I think maybe we hopefully made some good decisions, but the, the, the most important thing that you can do is just, and this sounds so trite, uh, just walk closely with Jesus. What we, what we saw is that he was, that, that there were things that we could draw on that we weren't looking to draw on 
in the aftermath, in the immediate and on down the line. Uh, he, he can guide even through that. That's something that I learned that I would have not guessed. We didn't have, there, there wasn't this litany of examples in front of us. We, you know, we had, we had Columbine. And, uh, and so we, um, we invited some of them to come out to help us. And then we, we reached out to other people that had other expertise in some of these things. I think one of the things that we did well is that we, what I, what I see churches struggling with sometimes when you're right at the, 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 the center of the blast zone in, in these things is there's a real tension to be something different in the aftermath than you were six months before. I think what we did, and I think it wasn't, I think just because we didn't have any idea what to do. We just said, we're, we're going to be who we are. We're just going to be that way more. We're, we're going to, our, our folks valued these kind of smaller communities. And so instead of, we did have certain things that we drew everybody to, and you need to do that together. I think that's an important part. But a lot of what we did was spread out. And, and, and we, we allowed people to, we were a place that people could uh, doubt and, 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 and bring up questions and be frustrated. And so we didn't try to, I, I love that, that phrase, the bumper sticker, you know, um, kind of that, that answer, the slogan, we called it spiritual solar cane. It's just like, mm-hmm. a, you just something that you say that sounds really great mm-hmm. and maybe takes a little tinge out of the burn, but that's, it's not, it doesn't do anything. And so we, we tried to help people see it's okay to feel these things that were, um, that we were going through. We, um, you know, we looked for, um, I think one of the, I think, okay, here, I got, I actually get to your answer to your question. When we went through it, it felt like we had broken a bone. And when you break a bone, you have to cast that limb so it doesn't move because that's how healing can occur. And, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. The, the, the question when you break something and you have a cast is when does the cast need to come off? And I think for us, the casting was we turned inward and we had so much trauma in there. We just didn't even know how to do anything else. And so we were trying to deal with that. I wonder if we stayed in that inward focus longer than we should have. And we started, we saw all kinds of, um, I don't know, evidence of maybe things that, you know, gotten a little too inward and too whatever that we can talk about another time if you want. But I, I, I wonder about that. You know, we, we, we said, we're not going to know if we're doing the right thing until three to five years down the line. And we look back and we think, did we honor God in that moment? That's about the only gauge that we would ever have. And when we did that, I wasn't even sure. But I, I wonder if we, we allowed that cast step, if we kept the cast on too long. Mm. I kind of wonder that. I don't, like I said, I don't even know that we did. It wouldn't surprise me if we did. It's not like I can't imagine that we would do something wrong. But that's just that it, it, it's really hard to know. When, how do you move to the next step? How do you begin to use the limb that's been immobilized? Because using a limb that's been immobilized because you injured it is terrifying because you don't want that pain ever again, but you have to use it. And, and I, I, I just don't know. I think that's, that's something that I just, I would say if there was a big area where we made a mistake, I would be looking at that area. Mm. 
I now wonder about it. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I, I, I feel like in some ways that you may have just named for what a lot of the angst that a lot of pastors are feeling right now coming out of the coming out of the pandemic that's still very real and present, right? Yeah. Like stuff has been in a cast for two years and how do we come out and it's scary. Um, yeah, Jamie, how about you? Like looking back on just all the research and, and your own experiences, what are some things that you think would be helpful or, or things that you've learned or things that you may be doing different um, for the next time? Yeah, you know, I, I think a few things that have really kind of shifted for me in my thinking and the way I approach things you know, when we look at these sort of topics, like um, when I first started doing like disaster preparedness or mass shooting preparedness with churches and things, I spent a lot of time on planning, um, right? Like let's, let's get a plan in place, which planning is good. Um, mm -hmm. But it's what I've learned is it's really the people around the plan that matter the most, not the plan itself. And, and I'll just give a, a quick story here. So there was a, a researcher up at Michigan State who was trying to understand like how do people get through these really horrible situations in life and he came across um there had been a group of soldiers that at one point they were going through training and they were in some sort of mountain range area and they left base camp they go up into the mountains and they have to find their way back as part of the the drill here and on their way back they get caught in this horrible blizzard and they get completely lost turn around you know in the mountain range and they don't think they're going to make it like and they start to give up hope you know, and kind of preparing for last rites. And then after a couple of days, one of the soldiers accidentally finds a map in some of the materials that they had brought with them. And so they all come together around the map and they have that kind of new sense of hope and they work together, they use the map and they actually get all the way back to base camp alive. Mm. But it wasn't until mm. they got back to base camp that they realized that the map they had been using was of a different mountain range not the one that they were actually on. Okay, so 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 I share that of like, you know, so so maps and plans are good because they they give us something to come around, right? Like I don't know if you guys I think I've tried to keep it out of like on on as we're talking here, like I've got my pencil, I've got my mouse and things, but I've been playing with these just under the video so you can't see it. Like I'm a fidgeter, right? Like um, and, and so those plans, it's kind of like that. Like when we're overwhelmed, we all get fidgety. It's hard to talk about things or focus on things. But if there's something that we're all kind of looking at, right, you know, and, you know, putting our attention at, it helps us give us some direction, but it provides some structure so that the people can get us through. Because it's not going to be the plan at the end of the day that's going to get you through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, 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 that's an awesome story. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Wow. <laughs> and I yeah. love that you're fidgeting with stuff underneath the camera. Thank you for naming yeah. that. I feel like, yeah, that, yeah thank you. I, I am too. I have my pens here. Well, that's, yeah, I've been, I've been doing this with the seat though. You know, it's just like, <laughs> if, you know, if, if my arms can't flail, I need to have some sort of Some kind of baseline. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I was thinking, what, what are stories of healing that are close to the two of you? You know, and, and it, it may take a second just to think through that, but but I was thinking about how it's hard because in, in the midst of the tragedy, there's so much awful, awful stuff that happens, but but we also live with this deep sense of hope that Christ is king, 
and he's good and he is redeeming all things. Um, and we partner in that. Um, and so I'm not, not that I'm trying to just put, put a happy spin on this because I think sometimes the healing is also in the midst of the sadness too. Um, but yeah, what are some stories of healing that just as, as you think back to, 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 to the stories of tragedy, the stories of, of these disasters, of these mass shootings that just come to mind? Well, you know, w- one of the things that, like, as you were asking that question, and I felt like for just a moment, kind of felt like back to like a VH1, the pop-up videos, right? Like I was kind of having all these mental pictures of, you know, these things that were kind of popping up of stories. And as I was trying to like slow down to, you know, look at each one of those a little bit, so to speak, realized there was kind of a theme across all of them, which was really, I think really the theme of what we've been talking about today of that presence and being together or being with, you know, like we did a study after, um, the mass shooting at the junior college out in Oregon uh, a number of Mm -hmm. years back. Mm -hmm. And we ended up surveying and a lot of the churches that were right around that area to understand how people were doing and what was the role of the church. And what we found was that individuals that had received positive spiritual support had much lower levels of PTSD. They Mm. also had a more positive view of God being a loving God, even in Mm. the midst of those horrible things. And I think sometimes we forget just how truly powerful it is just to be with someone during those times. And, you know, not only does that help us psychologically, but it even helps us spiritually. And you'll notice that I said positive perceived spiritual support, right? Because I I don't know, Doug and Jim, I don't know if your church has ever had a gossip chain. I mean, a a prayer chain, Um, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, Like not all support is always good. Um, you know, so, but there is something about really, truly being with each other that it it reflects God. You know, there was this, um, one survivor after Katrina that I remember talking to, and he was saying for him that he was like, you know, I would say I'm an agnostic and on a good day, atheist most days. Um, Mm -hmm. he's like, but with Katrina, he's like, I really felt like for the first time I saw God and I saw God in the people that were here. You know, I saw God and the people at the soup kitchen that were pouring out food for me as I would walk down the line. I saw God in the hearts of my neighbor who, you know, risked his own life to invite me into his home to be able to have a place to stay, you know, as the storm was approaching. You know, I saw God in my neighbors. I said, and you know, we just need to be present with one another. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think... I I would probably lean in that same in that same direction. Um you know we had um what what happened with us we're this kind of classic idyllic university town. You know, uh in the kind of hills of southwest Virginia nothing really, you know, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's a safe place and all this. And what happened with us is that evil stopped being a philosophical construct for a lot of people. And they saw this thing has, and I don't mean the shooter was evil. What he did certainly was, but evil itself, the opposer that, you know, there's activity there that, people hadn't really had to interact with 
And so I think what a lot of people felt like is by this event, they were shoved into this, past this line of being able to say, well, I'm just not going to think about that. And I think the ones that I would say, the ones that were able to wrestle with that more fully and more freely came out with a more profound sense of God's love and power, even though in his love and power, he doesn't stop things like that. You know, um, you know, I remember there was, a. uh, I, I, I was talking to someone, I don't remember when, but with each of these things, the really good things and the really awful things. And we just had our first grandchild, uh, two months ago. So that would be an example of a really great thing with any of those really big moments. I feel like I understand God a little bit better because I kind of get a different eyeball into some of the things that he's looking at. But then almost immediately after that, I feel like I understand him even less than I did because he's so much bigger and farther and everythinger than I am. And so there's this, I heard a lot of stories of people like that, that I am more clear about God's love, even though I'm more clear that that love won't prevent Hmm. even things that 99 times out of 100, if I'm God, I prevent that. And and there's this there's this realness and this ruggedness, and I'm sure some of it I, I you know we didn't track you know how what leads to what we were just tracking people, and and I think the people that felt the freedom to really wrestle with that because that's a great thing to say you know I found that with every large thing and terrible thing, I understand God more and I understand Him less. I just it's just nothing when you're in the middle of it. But it, it was there was it it was just it was just like that that kind of in those first few months, we're just staring at the ground for that light that he said is going to guide us. And and uh sorry, you just got pulled off my screen there. And uh as 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 we kept reflecting on how this works with a loving, good God, those stories of hope were, I feel like. I I don't know. I, I feel like I can see that how he can even work in this. And people, I think people's faith got more banged up. Their shield of faith had some extra dings on it than it had before, but they saw that it's a lot stronger than they thought. And so there was a, I think people sometimes can try to self-protect and Jamie, you would know this much better than I would. They, they can self-protect by avoiding. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to. And that's kind of how I stay safe. But they were shoved past that line with this. They had to think about it. And they say, no, there's safety on the other side of that line. And there's real hope in that, mm-hmm. a weird hope and not the kind of hope that we prefer, but there's a real hope there. And uh, yeah, that's a mm-hmm. meandering. Well, it, it, it sounds like it's, it's, it's hope that's not on a bumper sticker, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's too big for a bumper sticker. It's too big yes. for a bumper sticker. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just, my, my senses and, 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 you know, again, I, I feel like this is so helpful for me. And, and even if this podcast was just for me, which I promise it's not, we're going to, we're going to send this out to the folks for, uh, but I think the the question, a couple questions, and I, I will try to land the plane here cause I could talk with you guys all day. Um, but I'm just thinking like, what does it look like the first Sunday? Um, you know, 
not not in Texas, not in Buffalo, but as pastors are getting ready for their gatherings and their hearts are heavy this week, what would maybe be an encouragement that you would have to them for them in in this moment where we are right now? I I want to I want to toss something out because uh, I just feel like as you were asking it, I almost sense like the spirit was impressing something on me. There's uh, uh, Richard Foster wrote the Spirit of the Disciplines. Okay. In the spirit of the disciplines, he interacts with Kierkegaard. All right, Soren Kierkegaard. And and Kierkegaard had a a thing that I think brings more clarity, if you can call it that, to things like this. Like the and, and what he said was, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hack this thing to shreds, but generally this is right. Kierkegaard said, and as Foster was re kind of interacting with him, uh, he said, so if we're told to love everyone, should we stop working so that we can just love everyone all the time? And Kierkegaard said, no, you should seek the kingdom of God. Like, well, then should we sell all that we have so that we can give our money away so that we can serve people, you know, something like that? And Kierkegaard said, no, you should seek the kingdom of God. He said, okay, so then should we go and spend all our time telling people they should seek the kingdom of God? And Kierkegaard said, no, you should first seek the kingdom of God. And that that idea there that there's a pressure on pastors to respond to this thing correctly. Hmm. And and I mean and it doesn't really matter what it is. It's it's whether it's a cultural tension point or a disaster or a specific act of evil, however big or small it is, and pastors feel this pressure to say enough of the right things, but not too much because we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that. Do we focus on this? And everybody that comes in says, this is the thing you have to focus on. And everybody's thing is different. And there's a pressure there to respond correctly. And I think if I was as much as I hacked up Foster and Kierkegaard there, I'd say, no, what, what do you have to do this Sunday? You have to seek the kingdom of God. And, 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 and that's not the... I, I don't mean that flippantly. It means that as you are interacting with this as a human, as a follower of Jesus, then as the people that are leading with you and as the people that you're in relationship and community with are dealing with this, the spirit is going to kind of direct. And there's going to be certain things that you're going to hone in on. And they might be things that are a little easier for you to deal with. They might be things that are a little more testy, but the spirit is going to direct you in the midst of that. And, and then as, as the spirit does, then you're going to see how it's the spirit that's been working ahead of you to kind of prepare, prepare the way. I mean, I think there are things you don't want to do. You don't want to do the spiritual solar cane or the bumper sticker answer. You don't want to say, well, God is, you know, you don't want to, Pastors can feel this pressure to jump to where the, the resolution. We get the first third of the book in, and then we want to skip to the end so that we can clarify how it all ends. Don't. You got it, you know, as as the spirit is directing, I think lament is so important to be, and I don't really love lament. I just really don't. But it's I'm having to learn about the value of that so that there can be a, a voicing, a communal voicing of what we're feeling. And then as a pastor, as the leaders, you have to see, okay, when, when do we lament? When do we act? 
And when do we have a different response? And do I feel the freedom to have those as I'm directed by the Spirit? I talk to so many pastors that feel no freedom. They have to respond correctly. They have to give the Facebook, Insta, or Twitter response on behalf of their church within one day. They have to clarify. They ha- does, that, does that make sense? Yes. That's not really the question, that you, but it's like that. I, I hear that so often with pastors that I talk with that it's it, that it, it if you're just talking about this one thing, then here, here you then you can do these things. But it's not just this one kind of disaster. It's everything that the truly difficult part about being a pastor is it's never one thing. It's everything. And you're trying to navigate that in a way that honors the Lord. And I, that's why I love that. Kierkegaard quote, can you believe that the spirit will guide you in these kinds of decisions when you're expecting them and when you're not? Can you believe that? If you can't, then you're on the hook to respond correctly. And usually what that means is respond according to the, the majority or the vocal majority of the people that are around you so that you can have the right response. I think, I, I don't know, I'm, that's I'm meandering again, but that's the... I, I hear that so much. It's, it's, it's so hard as a pastor to navigate stuff like this. Okay, say a lot. That's my. <laughs> that's that's my. <laughs> you nailed it, Jim. I mean, I think you're so right. There is that pressure of like, I don't want to say the wrong thing, or right, or or I want to make sure that what I say communicates all the nuances of every little thing in 180 characters. And so mm-hmm. I've I've now essentially been able to like. Put everyone at ease when I think sometimes, I, yeah, I, 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 hear, I feel that pressure. I mean, I, I feel that pressure. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's, it's a pressure that just is always there. And I think it's probably even heightened right now. Uh, definitely heightened now in, in, in the wake of, of Buffalo and Southern California and, um, and yeah. Texas. But I think that it's heightened also because of the pandemic it's heightened, you know, because of masks, because of, because of vaccines, because of all these other things that, you know, we've had to try to figure out and none of us are medical professionals. Well, maybe you, Jim, but definitely not me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, trust me. I'm a medical professional. Jamie, how about you? Um, yeah. What, like, what would you say to the pastor who's getting, who's thinking about the gathering coming up on Sunday and just saying, man, like, what do I do? Or, or, or what's my posture? You know, just reflecting on this conversation and, and Jim, even just how you were responding there that, Right. Like you were sharing with us, like, here's some initial thoughts, but you also shared like how you were thinking about your thinking. Right. Mm. But, but you, you were voicing that because this is a, that open conversation. Right. Yeah. I would love to see more pastors being able to share what they're thinking about what they're actually saying. Mm. Like there's mm-hmm. something really powerful about that. So, you know, I, w- w- like one of the things that I, I teach our students, so I'm, I'm training humanitarian aid workers um, to, you know, what's like one of the courses I teach is on disaster mental health and on trauma response. And one of the things that I teach them is to like some of those uncertainties or the things you don't know, like you just give them words. There's something yes. powerful about saying what is floating around in your head that you're self monitoring. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, um, one of the last exercises, um, that I did in the class that we just finished up was, uh, one day we got about halfway through, I gave them a break and I asked for six volunteers before break. And they all, those volunteers had to wait in the hall 
And then a few minutes later, I come out and I start like kind of barking orders at him, like, why are you so late? You know, I've been at this shelter here for three hours. They told me you guys were going to be here. And then I just throw them in and everybody else now is role playing being survivors in a shelter that had just gone through a disaster. And now, you know, they're, so they're totally caught off guard. They're, you know, they've got their coffees. We just had a break, you know, and I'm like barking at them and, you know, to, to get in there. And I just hands off, like I don't tell them what to do. And they go through the whole exercise. But as I'm talking to each one of them, I bring up like I've got a folder and it's like, obviously, you know, I set the folders down in front of them. You know, I talk with it and I'm hitting on my hand as I'm talking or, you know, uh, sometimes I'm even like reading from the folder and nobody asked me what's in that folder. <laughs> I have like written out numbers to, like here's a here's I've got access to a satellite phone. My best friend runs the local college. You know, this person here, I've got the contact to the emergency room. Here I've got access to water. Here I've got I've got all these things. And and you know, and they don't ever ask, right? And so <laughs> one of the things I encourage pastors and something I've tried to get better at too. It's like, if I don't know to ask others for help and then to tell people, like, I don't know what to do, but I know we need all of these things. And sometimes mm-hmm. by just voicing it, because like every once in a while I'd have a student that would say, this person lost their dog. And this guy is telling me that he won't stay in the shelter unless we find his dog. What do I do to help him? You know, and it's like, oh, well, actually right here, I have the thing to the Lutheran Foundation and they actually have a, a where they go around their therapy dogs. And they might at least be able to come help provide some comfort for this guy so that you can mm-hmm. talk to him. Right. Like when we wonder out loud, good things happen, Hmm. you know, and it's, you know, same thing. Like it's really kind of like basic crisis 101 communication. Like one of the things in that role play, like there might be a student that says or a survivor in the role play that'll say like, um, you know, how do I do X, Y and Z? And I will sometimes just tell them, I don't know. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the next 10 minutes. And I Mm -hmm. promise even if I don't have the answer, I'm going to circle back in 10 minutes and let you know an update, you know, and it's, you know, just even to tell people what you don't know is a powerful mm-hmm. thing. That I, I, I love that. I love that, Jamie. I, I think that kind of my um, doctoral work is in like a bias and, and um, anyway, that one of the things that, that, we can do when we're inundated with data and content, which we all are constantly now, and pastors are no different, is that it causes us to lean on these kind of these, <laughs> these pathways that we, we can trust. And so we just try to dump more data into them and try to hope that we can kind of get through it. I love what you said uh, really pushes against that because there's almost a discipling of the community with the pastor saying, and this is something that we do at, um, at, at our church, just say, we, I, I, I don't know the right thing to do here. I feel the pressure to, to dive into the evil that this has caused and will continue to cause for a long time uh, and may even get worse. And yet I also worry that by diving into this one, I can't dive into this one the same way. And then I don't know what to do about this one. And, and I feel like I could constantly be about the evil. And, and I, I, to be able to say, I don't know what to do with that. And that there's a, there's a freedom there because one, you don't. <laughs> so it's okay to say it as frightening as that can be. 
but it, it allows the spirit to work with the community. There could be someone in your uh, in your community that's, that that has a sense of how to navigate this better. And they might be right. You you never assume that they're right or wrong, that you're right or wrong, that it's a just we we don't. This is kind of uncharted territory for us. Neurologically, <laughs> we've never had to deal with this much stuff. And so we don't really know how to. And and to be able to just say, I want to lament this, but I, I don't know what that means for all the other things that we can't lament in the same way. Or I'm afraid to lament this because there's been so much heaviness. I'm worried that what we need, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm worried that we're just going to get covered over under the weight of it all. And I don't know what to do with that. It's okay to say that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's freeing if you can do it a few times. If you do it the first time, you leave and then you freak out because what have I done? No one, you know, but it, I, I don't know. I, I loved that kind of, that, 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 that direction that you took it, Jamie. And I think that's so, it's so important, whether it's the 10 minutes or you're saying about this, I really don't know what our response ought to be. And so I, we need to kind of figure this out together and, and then we're just going to move forward. We need to seek the kingdom together and see what he says. And then let's give ourselves to that and let's trust him for the rest of it. And it's not going to be smooth and it's not going to be polished. And it might not be as cool as what other people can do that seem like they always have everything figured out. But this is just how we're going to do it. And then let's see what happens. We might do it well. We might screw it up. Either way, we're just going to give voice to that. We're just going to keep moving. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. That's kind of what that brought up in me, and I think that's the. I feel like that's that's a word of peace for pastors, to know that it's okay, like you said, to say I don't know, hmm. because well, the pressure is. It's it's a lot more like jazz than than being in an orchestra, oh, right? Like, oh, you know, you're, yeah. you're figuring it out as you go. You're playing off of each other. It's not ever going to be. You know, we want it to be nice and neat, no wrong notes. Yeah. But, you know, like I actually just went to uh, took my, my kiddos to a couple of recent jazz concerts and like the best parts were the mistakes. Right. And like yeah. seeing the musicians, you know, just being OK with it. And yeah, I mean, there's something powerful about that. Mm. And, and knowing knowing that that invites. Just if we're OK, we're talking to pastors. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's just let's just say the thing that everybody's thinking when they hear this. OK, that means these three people. <laughs> that are in that jazz band that not only play the wrong note, but they play it loud. <laughs> this is going to give them free reign to direct the decisions because they're going to say it loudest or they've got the voting block or they give a lot of money or they whatever. And and, and what comes with that, the freedom of jazz, is that there does have to be an understanding that we're not that no one instrument leads all the time. Mm-hmm. And that even includes the pastor, whatever instrument that is. I don't know. I played trombone in high school. I'm old school trombonist. So, you know, that's, but you know, it's, I, I that is, and that, and that's a thing that you can't, the only option you have is deal with that difficulty as the pastor of a church where you inevitably have those people in it or don't do it. And if you don't do it, you're trapped in the, okay, well, 
I, I need to get it right. I need to respond to this correctly. I need to not say too much because that might be a political thing or seen as a political thing. I sure don't need to ignore it because that's political too. And I, I feel like culture has put us in a position where the only option that we have is actually the right one. And that is, we just got to say, I don't know. You don't automatically get to be right. And I don't automatically get to be right. We're going to seek the spirit and try to do something in this. I, it's, I, I think if you don't, it's really hard mm. to, because it's not even saying the right thing. It's saying enough of the right thing without saying too much of the right thing and saying the right thing and enough of the right thing about enough of the things. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're hitting the complexity of this, I think, in a way that every pastor listening is shaking their head like, uh-huh, like, yeah. I can already picture those three instruments oh, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or you don't even have to be a pastor to recognize that. Like, you could be at a, you get, if you have. You worked in any group or, anywhere, or even friends, someone. like, you know yeah. exactly what's happening. Yeah. And, 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 you know, somebody's picturing that quartet or trio, and they're wondering, why does that person always bring a tuba to a jazz quartet? Yeah. <laughs> I got one of those friends or somebody. In oh, yeah. It's like, right? oh yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, Jim and, and Doug talking about that complexity, you know, and you, you were talking there, Jim, just a moment ago about Kierkegaard. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, things that he talks about is this idea of the, of the virtue of absurdity. Right? Yeah. And I think we could all do a little bit better with cultivating that of, you know, be able to, cause it helps us, right. It helps us to realize like in second Chronicles that, you know, yeah, we're called to help. We're called to do these things as Christ followers, but the healing ultimately comes from God, right? God is the healer. And in the same way that when we're faced with all these tragedies, you know, we try to live as though, you know, the, the things we hope for would be a reality in this life, but knowing that it's not up to us, we're called mm -hmm. to be pushing forward, playing those wrong notes, we're going to make mistakes, but in the end, we have that ultimate H hope, the hope in God that he is that healer and that that absurdity is what's going to help get us through it. Yeah. And I, Man. I, okay. All right. Now, Doug, I defy you. Okay. I haven't listened to all the Monday morning pastor podcasts, oh, but I've listened goodness. to a lot of them. You tell me where you've had one person like Jamie just did quote Kierkegaard and the old Testament. <laughs> I, I defy you to find another time. That is you know Monday I, morning I caster. I can. Star it, was, it was Jamie Aiton the first time. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. I was really afraid you were just going to talk about the tuba comment. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we've ever talked about tubas as well. Um, there we go. He's breaking new ground. Breaking all new over ground. The yeah, but I think I, I, it just. I remember we were at an elder meeting years ago and it was when I was first, when I first started at, at our church and, and one of our elders was going through a difficult time. And I think our church was in sort of a difficult space and, and the elder brought uh, a passage from second Chronicles and, and it was just the simple prayer. I think it was of King Josiah. Uh, we don't know what mm -hmm. to do, but our eyes are on you. Yeah. And, and I think yep. there's such giftedness to be reminded that we are not the healers of our church. We're not the healers of our community. Jesus is, and we get to collaborate with his healing work in the world. And I wonder if even just whether it's the tuba conversation or, or whether it's the, the wrong note, but just being reminded that, yeah, it's, I come back to something Bob Hyatt told me years ago. He said, Doug, you're responsible to your church, not for your church. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And that is also another one of the hardest things to fully live out, especially when people are looking at you for answers or looking at you for being the mouthpiece of God in a situation like this. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the Monday Morning Pastor and for just having this very needed conversation right now as as people, as pastors, as leaders are just struggling to think what to do or or they they really have no clue on how to respond. Um, and would you, would uh, Jamie, would you mind praying for us? And Jim, would you mind leaving us with a benediction? Mm, sure thing. Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time connecting, sharing with one another. And I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be with Doug and to be with Jim and have this conversation. And my prayer today is that those who are listening, that they can have a conversation similar to what we just had with others in their life. Yeah. This last month has been a challenging month. And I don't know how many times I've just felt lost and not known what to do. And just being able to voice that with Jim and Doug this morning was really ministering to, to me. And I pray that those who are listening will be able to be ministered by sharing with others in their life that knowing they don't have to have all the answers that we are all figuring this out. But the good news is that you do know where this is all going. So we thank you for that. In Jesus name we pray. For the pastors that are out there, for the people that are leading, that are trying to be a part of this kingdom work that our Messiah has called us to, uh, Spirit, help us to see that we are not sent out as experts. We are not sent out as people that have mastered this work. We are called to follow you. We're called to trust you. And we're called to live our life with you in the same way that the people that we're in community with are called. And so I ask that the pastors and the people that are leading other people or discipling other people are part of this kingdom work would feel the ability to let that extra pressure down, to lay that weight down, and to instead just feel your peace, not your calm spirit. We, we love feeling calm, and it's great when you bring it, and that's a blessing, but peace is deeper. Peace digs underneath the things that allow us to be calm, and it reminds us that you're with us there in the moment. So I, I want to send out these pastors and leaders with your peace, your presence. They are not lost in the dust to you. You see them and you love them and you enjoy them. Go out in that. Amen.